0: Welcome back to the Five More Minutes Podcast. Here we are. Hello, everybody. So it's been a while. It's been way too long, but I have to tell you... um, I, so, okay, so the last time we talked, we were talking about infrastructure. So our last podcast was with Kate Campbell, remember her? And uh, and then I was driving on my way to interview um, my next person, and I was like, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm going to stop and have some breakfast. And I was so fortunate, because I was ha- actually having breakfast with Brooke Moore, who we all love, and, um, and so we went to have breakfast, we went to this lovely little place called Nelson the Seagull, which is one of my favorite brunch places, and I come out of my car, I Out of the restaurant, I go to my car, and I'm like, hmm something looks strange. There's something hanging out of my car. And so I look closer and the blanket that I have, because like when you take the ferry in the morning, it's cold. So I had a blanket in the car and it was like sticking out of the side of the door and I look closer and I shouldn't, I shouldn't have left my gear there, but I had all my podcast gear in a suitcase and then the suitcase was gone. So, um, it's, so our podcast has been put on hold because of that. Um, so all my equipment was stolen, um, my bikes and my computer and my iPad and everything. So I had to replace everything, but it has taken a while, it's taken a while, but I am happy to report that I am sitting here in front of you with um, another mic, another computer, um, because um, I've got such great feedback, and so we're going to absolutely keep this podcast going, but now we have to kind of play catch up. So that's kind of the update with the podcast. So I might have to use some of the summer because we have to like have our podcast aligned with our videos. Um, The good news is, is that all of our five more minute videos were already pre-recorded. So my um, cousin in New York had all of those videos. So we didn't have to worry about uh, losing those. And so um, we uh, we sent the most recent video for five more minutes is about the SMART goals, which, you know, is so exciting because um, I just have a plan to blow them up, like actually blow up the SMART goals, and yes, that's a threat, because there's no place for them anymore, and so it's caused some really great conversation um, on the on the interweb um, about kind of why we do the things we do, and I had a really great conversation with some families um, at the Inclusion BC conference this weekend about, about just that, like how do we evolve IEPs, so stay tuned for more of that. But then I had to kind of figure out, like, okay, well, do I make this podcast aligned with the five more minutes of this month, or do I fill in the gaps? And so I didn't really know what to do. And so, um, but, you know, sometimes when you're not sure what to do, and then the world just kind of tells you, because this is what happened. So... Oh, let's see, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I was in um, the Okanagan working in the Penticton School District, which I've worked with for a few years. And so uh, I have a lovely relationship with them. And so on this particular day, I was in elementary school. And what we were doing was we were looking at a little guy in kindergarten whose name is Sebastian. And you'll learn more about him. but. What happened was, and it was kind of fascinating, and I've done this before, where we kind of bring the team together and we kind of look through how do we move to make, uh, like Sebastian in this case, but in in any case, um, a student's program more inclusive. But like, you know how I feel about inclusion. Like it can't just be like, you know, putting kids in room or it can't just be about minutes. But like, how do we facilitate um, inclusive placements to be meaningful? And sometimes that takes more time for kids. And so we were looking at um, uh, the program for this little guy and so there was the typical people there. There was the classroom teacher, and there was the um, support teacher, and the speech and language pathologist was there, and the and the um, physiotherapist was there, and the occupational therapist was there. So I mean, there was all of these people who support this program and the student, and even the principal came in, and the superintendent came in. Like it just was this really great working day. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll kind of look in depth at some of these complex cases, and then other teachers will come and watch the process, which is what happened. So I mean. We had probably, oh, I don't know, ranging throughout the day, 12 to 16 people. And then, so we we're going around the room, and I'm, I'm like, I'm totally used to this, but we're going around the room, and we're introducing everyone. And then this woman, because um, I, I told everyone to introduce themselves, like who they are and what their role is. And this woman goes, hi, I am Suzanne, and I'm Sebastian's mom. And it kind of just, I look at her, and I was like, who invited you because that is the greatest thing ever. How many times have I been in these meetings and it's about kids and it's about families, but they don't include the kids or the families. And I was just like, oh, this is perfect. This is wonderful. So Suzanne was this just breath of fresh air in this um, otherwise, you know, very educational meeting and just was was such this incredible, gracious voice that, you know, reminded us that, you know, these these documents and these plans that we're making about these kids, represent an actual person and a family and um and she was just so knowledgeable and so uh you know the perspective that she would, was, were, was giving us was one that none of us had. And it just was this really huge reminder about, you know, in inclusion, inclusion, and we talk all the time about the importance of diverse voices, but, you know, sometimes we still don't reach out and include parents and kids as a part of these conversations. Um, and so I just, um, so I'm listening to Suzanne speak through the day and listening to her, her comments. And, and I just like, I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, I just need her on my podcast. And so uh, she has, has other children and she had to leave right after school. So I looked at her and I was just like, Suzanne, what are you doing at lunchtime today? And she's like, what, what do you think I should do at lunchtime? Like she was so lovely. And so I roped her in and, uh, was very fortunate. We didn't have a lot of time together, but, um, but she was able to sit down for about 15, 20 minutes with uh, Janice Mose and Judith King, who I'll introduce you to in a second. But so the three of them sat down and were just like, well, what are we going to talk about? Like, are we going to talk about smart goals? But what just became so apparent in our conversation was this, this lens that Suzanne was bringing about Sebastian, her child, was, you know, um, Suzanne has had moved has moved recently to Canada from the UK. And so she's got this really neat, not only like parent lens, but also like kind of, um. Kind of systems lens and looking at how her experience in another country compares to the experience here in Canada, not just Canada but specifically um, in BC. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this, this this sounds like infrastructure. So this specific podcast, because of this opportunity I had with this incredible parent, uh, we're gonna link. Actually, we're gonna pick up where we left off, which was where we were in March around infrastructure. But I'll align this podcast to that to the March video, and then I'll try and do some ca- catch up. But I just felt like this was just an incredible opportunity. Um, Um, to spend a few minutes with with Suzanne so let me let me tell you a little bit uh, more about um, so Suzanne as you know was going to be in in this podcast but the other two people I invited um, was so Judith King Judith King uh, works also for the Penticton School District and how I know of Judith is she works very closely um, with Faye Brownlee who. I remember when I interviewed Faye Brownlee, Faye Brownlee and Judith King wrote my favorite inclusive book of all time, which is Learning in Safe School, which which, um, was the very first book that I read about inclusion that was about a community and not about an individual, which was revolutionary for me because in my experience going to school – I was taught how to support individuals in classrooms, whereas this approach of supporting a classrooms that are filled with diverse individuals, like that switch in my brain, completely changed how I support classrooms and how I support kids and teachers and families. So, they're pretty um, significant in my learning journey. So, Judith King has become a very dear friend, and uh, and so she, so it was interesting to get her kind of take on this because she's also been, you know, a part of the system for a long time and has seen, you know, the 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 evolution of inclusion over time. And so I thought her perspective might be really good also on infrastructure. And then Janice Mose, Janice Mose is now a district helping teacher and a support teacher in schools in the same school district and works really closely with Judith as well. And and so she has kind of like insight for, you know, both as a teacher role, but also as a support role. And so it was kind of this neat opportunity to say, okay, from an experienced lens, from a support teacher lens and from a parent lens, what can we do to make inclusion happen for some of these kids who have really complex needs? And, you know, it might, it might not be as simple as just put them in all the classroom. Or or might not be as simple as let's just keep track of the minutes that they're there. But like, you know, what are we going to do to make those those minutes meaningful? So here we go. Um, let me introduce you to Judith, Janice and Suzanne. Hello, friends, we are back. We are stronger than ever with a new mic. Yay! So here I am, I'm, I'm with some lovely people, some fantastic people, some I've known for a long time, and some I just met this morning, and I uh, wrangled them into this, I can't wait to introduce you. So I'm at a lovely school in the Okanagan, and I am sitting with, uh, let's, you know what, let's start with Judith. Hi Judith. Hi Shelley. So Judith King, if you don't know anything about Judith King, she like, okay, I call Faye, Faye the matriarch, of inclusive education, you're like the saint of inclusive education. Oh, that's wonderful. Like there should be. <laughs> so, do you want to tell us a little bit about? You know what? Let's pause. Let's do introductions and then we'll talk about our role. So we have Je- we have um, Judith King, and then we have. Janice Mose. Hi, Janice. Hello. How are you doing? Great. I, can't, I can't wait for you to hear from Janice. She's a star. I'm trying to convince her to be my personal assistant. We'll <laughs> see how that's going. And then last but not least, we have? Suzanne Temple. Suzanne Temple. So this lovely group of people, um, because we're a little backed up in our podcast, we are actually going to um, connect this podcast to an earlier 5 More Minutes episode around the infrastructure. And if you remember that video, it's comparing... Um, inclusion to recycling, and how to really get people to recycle. It's not just the belief in it, because we, we believe in saving the planet, we believe in inclusion, but it's what's the infrastructure to make it easier for people to actually be recyclers or to be includers. So let's spend a little bit of time on our, on our fantastic guests today. Let's go back to Judith. Judith, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure.
1: <coughs> Who so, are you, Judith? <laughs> uh, so my job in this district is helping teacher in school completion. Oh, yes. And so I work with schools to try and help them figure out ways to keep more kids in school. Yeah. So definitely it's on infrastructure and strategies. Oh, totally. And you're
0: involved with a very cool project. Do you want to just do a little synopsis of it? I am.
1: The project's called Through a Different Lens.
0: Through a Different Lens with Mm -hmm. a beep. Um, Tell us about that.
1: It is co-sponsored by the Vancouver Foundation, and it is... um, Looking at alternate ways of teaching using kids' strengths—very strength-based.
0: Sounds very inclusive, Judith. Does
1: very inclusive. I know, and you yeah. actually
0: had some really incredible success on that. We, we should do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, we <laughs> should. We'll see Judith again. Thank you, Judith, for being a part of this. So I really invited Judith to this because. Um, I think she has a very, very exceptional and vast experience around kind of not just the philosophy but the practice of inclusion and with the ultimate goal of how do we help kids to finish school, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Mm -hmm. is that not just the goal? Mm -hmm. Um, With a meaningful
1: education. With a meaningful...
0: Yeah. Shocking. (laughs) Shocking that that would be the goal. Um, So thank you. Thank you, Judith. Okay, Janice, tell us a little bit about you. Um,
2: So my name is Janice Mose, and I've worked in Penticton for, I think around 10 or 11 years now, um, and I work at a middle school, and um, my passion is around inclusion, um, meaningful inclusion, teacher collaboration, and just trying new things for kids and, yeah, and seeing yeah. how, how that might make a difference for our learners.
0: Yes, and I like um, Janice's role because you have both a teacher support role, but also a student support role, so you're kind of looking at it from both lenses. That's why you're here, my friend. Thank you. Okay, Suzanne, tell us a little bit about you.
3: Okay, I have a little boy, Sebastian, who has just, or is just finishing his first year at school, he's just finishing his first year of kindergarten, um, he has complex needs, and it has been amazing.
0: Can you tell me what his complex need is, only because the, the, the trick that you taught us was so handy.
3: Okay, <laughs> Sebastian has a, ki- a condition called listen carefully, which sounds like listen, listen carefully. carefully. <laughs> is
0: <Isn't> that amazing? <laughs> And so now it's listen, ke- listen carefully. But what I love about it the most is that I'm now saying it with an accent because Suzanne. This is yes. a condition called listen carefully. Like this <laughs> is not like I'm from the UK.
1: It does. I was walking to my car
0: to get the mic, and I'm like listen carefully, listen carefully. I love it. So thank you, Suzanne. So Suzanne is a parent, and I just actually met her this morning. And listen to how incredible this is. We spent the morning doing some um, kind of inclusive planning for two students in the school, and so I'm introducing all the people in the room and there's probably what, 15 people there? And it ranges from classroom teachers, from kindergarten teachers to next year's teachers to uh, speech and language pathologists and occupational therapists and then here's this incredible person I'm like okay, who are you and what's your role? She's like I'm the mom and Mm. I'm like Good job organizing this, because you know how many times I've done this meeting, and parents are not there, and, you know, as soon as Suzanne opened her mouth, and I'm like, so what are you doing at lunchtime? Do you want to do a podcast? Because you're going to notice that Suzanne has a wealth of information, not only just about her son, but um, stories, and she knows she knows what's working and what's not. So um, we're going to kind of start. Are you ready? Let's have a little conversation. Um, so... In terms of infrastructure, the reason why I asked these three people to join me for this conversation is because, you know, part of the inclusion movement is looking at inclusion from multiple perspectives, right, and looking at this from, you know, the infrastructure of not just a district level, but, you know, what I love about Judith, is this experiential lens of what works, and um, Janice has both this kind of teacher lens, but also classroom lens, and how, how do we support infrastructure on those levels, and then, like, at the end of the day, like, how does this look like for parents and for Sebastian? Himself to say, why is inclusion working for Sebastian, right? And so in that, I would love to talk to Suzanne first. So Sebastian is five. He's six. He's six years old. So he is in a kindergarten class. And is this his first year of school? It is, yes. Okay, so there we go. So here's my question for you. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey up until this point? Um, Maybe some of the strengths and stretches of Sebastian and, and just your experience of school so far?
3: So, Sebastian, the first five years of his life, was very sick. Um, he has epilepsy as part of his condition, and it, it has been extremely difficult to treat. And there have been times where he has literally been catatonic from having, you know, up to 100 or more seizures a day. So, it, it's been um, a very intense um, process. And we were fortunate enough to get his seizures under enough control to start him at a preschool back in the UK. So mm-hmm. that was my first experience of him being out of, out of the home, really, mm-hmm. and away from me, um, which is a big deal. That's hard. Big, big That's deal. That's totally hard. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I was I lucky. I appreciate that.
3: Amazing EA, um, mm-hmm. who made it possible for me to leave him for those three hours. Trust is huge. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so
0: starting with that preschool, can I talk to you more yeah, about that? Yeah, for sure. So if you think about that preschool experience for him, you know what, like, was it an inclusive ex- inclusive experience? Like, what what did that look like? For it him? was.
3: It was an inclusive experience, um, and it was a preschool who had they had done this before mm-hmm. they knew pretty much what they were doing mm-hmm. the ea was invaluable because she her younger sister had had very similar needs to sebastian oh, wow. well, that was lucky, so right? just yeah. it was phenomenal but that was the one year that that would be available to him and for the next year he was gonna have to go into a special school he was gonna so have after to, that right, it right. more segregated right
0: well welcome to canada right welcome <laughs> to british columbia <laughs> right? exactly so and you have you're a recent you've recently arrived Yeah. yeah. So how How long have you been in in DC for? Since
3: February 2018. Well let me
0: tell you something, you found the right place because Summerland is the best Oh yes. (laughs) Right? If you guys don't know about Summerland, it's in the Okanagan and it's wine country, let's just (laughs) clarify So okay, so now talk about your experience here, like what's Sebastian's day look like at this school?
3: Inclusion at this school means that Sebastian is able to attend school and spend six hours of his day interacting with his peers Mm -hmm. and And the whole spectrum of his peers, not just his peers who have a designation or a diagnosis, this is every single one of his peers, right? Mm -hmm. So for in this community, it's a small community, he, he's going to school with his peers. Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: He's a part of that community.
0: Yeah. What was really interesting is uh, part one of the strategies that I often work with school teams on is kind of, it's, we did it this morning called mm. the place alignment. Right. So how do we align the places where kids are? Yes. You know, whether that is in the classroom or the gym or the music room, And we spent about 10 minutes on this, and then I realized, I'm like, Sebastian's aligned. Oh, yeah. He is in, like, he is, he has a spot on the rug. He has a desk. Mm-hmm. He has, like, there is a place for him everywhere. And so really the conversation became, like, how do we make those places meaningful for him? But sometimes that alignment of place is is the hardest part sometimes when a school's not used to that. Okay, so, Suzanne, last question before I mm-hmm. I, I go to another, go to one, of the, no, one of our other incredible guests. haven't forgotten about you two over there. <laughs> I'll cut that part out. Okay. It's okay. I <laughs> forgot. <laughs> Um, If you think about some of the supports within the building, Mm -hmm. that that idea of infrastructure, Mm -hmm. why do you think Sebastian's having success? I
3: I think it is about the physical space in the building. There Mm -hmm. have been changes made to the building, specifically for (gasps) Sebastian. Tell
0: me an example.
3: So, For Sebastian and for other children. So the the doors, we now have push-button operated doors Mm -hmm. at the front of the school. So Sebastian can now, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he can either, assisted, walk up to that button Mm -hmm. or in his wheelchair, he pushes the button and he he walks through the the door. door.
0: Oh my goodness. And if he doesn't yeah. want to go
3: home he refuses to push the button. <laughs> I love that
0: so much. And that much. happened. I love that so much. What's it it another example?
3: I think not it's I think it's not just the physical. I think you have to take your environment and then you have to have the right people in that yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, you have to have people who they don't have to be knowledgeable. Knowledge mm-hmm. is not a prerequisite, but open mindedness mm-hmm. and motivation are two yeah. big, big prerequisites totally. in this. And I
0: mean I've I've met um, the staff like the EA that's working with mm-hmm. Sebastian and what she emits is just possibility. Oh, like she's... there there's never a minute or a second that I feel from her that something is not possible for Sebastian. And, and it's just not that... just
3: for Sebastian. She's cheerleading oh, Sebastian, totally. she's cheerleading me. Yeah, yeah. she's behind she's behind the whole team and she's there and she's, yeah. And she's had wealth of experience. So she's probably the most experienced person within the team Mm -hmm. and she leads from the back. She's amazing.
0: Um, one thing also that I, I, I will often ask people because, you know, people are an important part of this process for Mm -hmm. sure. But I think what is, is really important to articulate is, is what are the people doing that is supportive? So if you think about, sebastian's ea and we kind of talked Mm -hmm. about this like possibility Mm -hmm. thinking and motivated Mm -hmm. what are some like can you think of some examples of things that his ea does that is supportive to sebastian
3: so um what sebastian's ea will do is she will look at what the class is doing Mm -hmm. so so what are they doing are they at at centers are they at carpet time Mm -hmm. are they doing reflections and she will find a way to include him in that yeah. and so at the end of the day the kids do reflection so it's kind of they have to mm. choose they have a microphone that goes around and they have to choose what is it or oh, they don't have a microphone sorry we will have to scratch that start it's again okay. It's okay. so they they have to say at the end of the day what their favorite part of the day was and so Sebastian's EA now will you give him more choice but will give him two or three cards of the things mm. that she thinks he's enjoyed mm. he will point to one mm-hmm. And she's using a microphone to try and increase the volume of his voice. He's got a very quiet voice. Well, that, so if yeah. he's either if he's able to say it, if he isn't able to say it, yeah. then he can just hold the card up. Good show. So he can be part mm-hmm. of that conversation.
0: I love that. And how, how does the class respond to that?
3: This is the thing, right? You, they're six. This is their first experience of school. This is normal to them. That's you, so right? true. So yeah, it's, yeah. It, the adults are all concerned about how well the kids are doing. But yeah. actually... This is the kids' experience. Kids are all right.
0: Mm -hmm. Kids are not the problem. (laughs) Okay, so let's pause there for a second because I want to hear from Janice. Because Janice, you, I think, are a really good person that we can speak to the teacher lens, right? Sure. To say, you know, so what, because what's happening in this classroom, you know, is incredible for Sebastian and his peers and even to have that EA as a role. But you can have really great classes and really great EAs, but there's another level of support and infrastructure around how do we support the teacher to be inclusive so that those types of things can happen. Like, we're kind of building from the ground up. So, thinking from a teacher perspective, what are some supports that are put in place, I know for sure in this district, but in general, mm-hmm. to help teachers to be inclusive to kids like Sebastian?
2: Sure. Um, so, I, I think one of the important pieces is is sort of working with teachers and, and thinking about values and beliefs. So, Hattie does some research around um, teacher self-efficacy mm-hmm. and the idea of, you know, you get a group of teachers together um, that believe... Um, that they can make the most difference, that they can make a difference for kids shows that that, that will make the most difference for kids. So working with, with teachers that believe they can make a difference um, and listening to them and, and finding out what are some, um, using sort of maybe a class review and talking with teachers about what are some things that are, are working in your class, what are some strengths you have, what are some things you want to work on mm-hmm. um, and, and looking at inclusion from a point of view of how do we support the whole class yeah. and, and then looking at individual students from that mm-hmm. piece.
0: I, you know, I love that you say that because there's a lot of conversations I've had even at this, like with Faye. Faye Brownlee was a podcast and we talked about how you know special education is really shifting away from how do I as a support teacher support Sebastian in a Mm -hmm. classroom to how do I support a teacher to support Sebastian Mm -hmm. in the classroom because when you start to think like that you realize that now two adults are supporting everyone as opposed to a divide and conquer of the EA takes this kid and the teacher takes this kid and the support teacher teach this kid and I was speaking to a teacher on the island actually just a couple weeks ago and she goes we've always had people (laughs) attached to a community but she's like this is the first year that we actually looked at ourselves as multiple parents for a group of kids mm-hmm. you know we make decisions together we decide how we're going to support kids together and actually relying on that multiple expertise but the other thing I wanted to mention that you know you've mentioned a lot of things about supporting teachers through that process of the efficacy and and Judith maybe you can speak to this a little bit as well is that within this district especially the infrastructure that you have in terms of taking teachers through that process your entire professional development model is built on that inquiry of how do you build teacher efficacy? Like, so, And this actually ties into your research project mm-hmm. around, like, you know, through a different lens and supporting teachers to be empowered to teach to diversity. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the professional development structures that exist?
1: So the biggest one really is teacher inquiry in this district. Um, there are some long, like, some strands where you can go and do PRO-D, but most of it is you have a burning question. And in this one that you're, Janice is leading is about how do we... Um, how can we provide inclusive classrooms and inclusive schools? But there's lots of other ones too. How Uh, do we help kids who um, are not engaged in school to be Mm -hmm. engaged in school? But Mm -hmm. it's always coming from the teacher in terms of I don't know how to do this or I Mm -hmm. want to know more how to do this, and none of us are experts. Like we're all just working alongside trying to Mm -hmm. figure it out.
0: And so speaking now, because, like, you've been teaching for one or two years. Just a while.
1: Yeah. Just a little while. (laughs) So so you've
0: probably, well, I know you have seen the evolution of inclusion, like, probably throughout the whole province in terms of where it's Hmm. come from, where is it going. So looking at that from that historical lens, why do you think inclusion evolved here? Like, what were systems and structures that were put in place to even have the movement? Because there's a lot of places that aren't, don't have that in the similar... That similar inclusive motivation that we do in British Columbia. So, what? Why did it happen? Where did it come from?
1: I don't know if I can answer that, but I do feel like it's been a very, very, very long, oh, yeah. laborious process.
0: It's hard work. So, thirty yeah. years
1: ago, we yeah. were doing in closing special classes mm-hmm. and including kids, but. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean the philosophy was there. Right, right. So I feel like there's a resurgent, much thanks to you, in terms of people talking about it again, mm. people looking at different ways of doing it, because there were a whole crew of us talking about it for oh, years, yeah, and, years and years and years this and years and years. How, how to create a model where, you, just what you talked about with mm. Faye, how to create a model where we're all working together for these kids, for all of our kids, yeah. um, not having us all segmented into our little little silos yeah. but it's 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 certainly not as far as I would wish it would be after 30 right, years totally. um I don't know why BC so you probably know more of that than I do but yeah. but I do feel like BC also has an inquiry mindset yeah, it's true. like and we are working more at teachers really thinking about who they are with all of their kids
0: mm-hmm. so and I think if you look at kind of that structure then it's really moving away from that idea of same thing with kids, like, if you just stand and deliver to kids one time, that's not going to mm-hmm. be meaningful to mm-hmm. them in the same way of teachers, and so part of that support saying, like, if I'm if we're just going to stand up here and give you information, it's not going to stick, and so, you know, partnerships like this district, like, we've worked together for years, and mm-hmm. working with Fay, and Layton and all these these people throughout the province to say, how do we support teachers to do this work, right, so that they can support parents and kids mm-hmm. in the classroom, and, and I think it requires support on both of those levels, that isn't just people but it's what people are doing that is
1: inclusive it also requires parent voice mm-hmm. oh my goodness mm-hmm. I, it,
0: it's so important <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I was floored today when I walked in and, and you were talking and I said I leaned over to Kirsten said who is that she said oh it's the child's parent and I'm like
2: mm-hmm. oh my gosh
1: like if we could all learn oh, together you said things in that meeting today that nobody else could say mm-hmm. no because you know your son you way better and what your vision is and how much you're willing to share and how much you're willing to talk to other kids about him or in the community or the Mm -hmm. coffee shop. Well,
0: and this is one part, Suzanne, that you said today was, you know, we, like... We all, the three of us, me and Janice and and, and Judith, are talking about our vision within the education mm. system. But what you did today is you pulled us out of the schools mm. and started to say like the impact mm-hmm. and what we do in schools and the rollout of that into the community. Like, tell us the example about the coffee shop that you talked about today. They,
3: I go to a coffee shop and I pull out the syringes and the water bottle and the tube, and you know people are kind. of, They're looking. They're not being rude. They just haven't. They're curious. Seen, they're curious, totally. right? But it's difficult to run a seminar on your child's (laughs) fluid needs whilst you're (laughs) at the Starbucks. Right, exactly, okay. (laughs) But every child in his class knows this procedure.
1: Yeah.
3: And as he progresses through the education system and in the community and it gets known I can see that in 15 years time I'm going to be able to do that and importantly so is every other tube feeding parent totally right yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that's going to be okay and accepted and normal
0: mm-hmm.
3: and that is going to allow Sebastian more acceptance mm-hmm. because we all know what it feels like when everybody turns and looks at us mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable
0: it's so freeing Right. and I think you know you know just to kind of kind of wrap up this conversation a little bit one thing that I'm really realizing from all of your stories is this idea of for so long we've been trying to include kids by trying to change the kids yes as opposed to how do we actually change the structures within the place that are disabling to the kid Mm -hmm. as opposed to Mm -hmm. looking at a kid who is disabled right and I think you know a perfect example of that is all of us can become more sensitive around tube feeding That is way easier and way more inclusive than hiding tube feeding from people. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, and and the example with the door, like, it's something that's so simple in terms of, you know, rather looking at Sebastian as Mm -hmm. the person who needs to change, how do we change the community Mm -hmm. and the environment so Mm -hmm. Sebastian can just Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. Sebastian? Mm -hmm. And I think you took us today outside of the school and into the community and reminded us about the importance of the ripple effects of starting this in kindergarten and yeah. he has a he is coming to school at such a good time and in such a good place to say he he is going to be responsible for the rollout of the perspective change of an entire yeah. generation and i think that that alone is is so significant yeah. and if not the only reason we need to do this work right but the trickle effect also of it also can't be done alone. And so, you know, I appreciate the different perspectives to say, how are we going to support classrooms and schools and, and the learning of the people who are going to wrap that support around parents and kids to make that process possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need another hour. Friends, thank you for joining me for lunchtime. Thanks, it was Shelley. a quick conversation, but it was a fun conversation. And, you know, don't be surprised if you hear from them again. Do you guys want to all say bye? I do. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Aren't they so good? You could see why I wanted to get them on my podcast immediately. Um, so thank you for listening to my very quick interview with Suzanne, Judith, and Janice um, amongst the schoolyard noise in the background. Um, so just a few takeaways from this podcast. Um, just first of all, I wanted to just remind you guys that um, in this episode we mentioned a few strategies. We talked about the place planner, the place alignment planner, the purpose planner, and the class review. All three of these strategies are on the fivemoreminute.com website um, with temp downloadable temp planning templates and also there are also video recorded strategies. so, so take a look at those if you want to learn more about them. but those were the street 3 strategies we used when we were planning around Sebastian on this day. Um, okay. So let's, and I just want to kind of like reflect on, on what, what, um, my guest said today, but, uh, when I talked talk to Suzanne about, you know, what was the infrastructure that supported Sebastian, um, and for his, you know, school, schooling day to be inclusive, you know, just some things that stood out to me about what she said. The first thing that she said was just the flexibility of space. Um, I think that's so important because I think, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, there's a big misunderstanding around inclusion being that kids have to physically be together all the time. And, you know, sometimes I I don't, well, I I know that that's not necessarily true, but just because kids aren't physically together doesn't mean they're not being inclusive. Um, A really nice example of this is when I first met Sebastian, um, when I was there, Um, he was walking in the hallway, he was taking a break and he was walking in the hallway. And and I don't think it's a problem that he was walking in the hallway because he, he was going back. Right. And I think, you know, I totally understand that kids need breaks and kids need to have different activities, but often they don't, they don't go back. They leave and they just, just leave and so I think you know it just was the reminder of you know wh- you know, kind of making sure we start and end together you know start the day together start the class together start the lesson together and people are going to need breaks along the way and that's okay and they might have different activities but they but they always come back and, and I think having that flexibility of both space and time but also understanding that you know where kids are beginning and ending things is where we're communicating that they belong like if you think about families in our home you know we start the day together we end the day together the middle of our day it looks different for everyone depending on who we are but you know we 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 come back together at the end of the day and we reconnect and so i think um sebastian has, has such an important role in his classroom and, and part of that is is not necessarily because he's there 100 of the time but he always has a space and he always has an opportunity and he always has connection when he's there 100 percent of the time so you know i think it's it's that flexibility that that is allowing him to be successful And, but I understand that that causes a lot of ripples because, you know, wherever I go, we're trying to define some criteria, um, around, you know, what does inclusion mean? What does inclusion mean? Especially around accountability measures. Right. But when I see Sebastian's story, like the whole time I was with him over these two days, I just kept thinking every minute of every day he's planned for every minute of every day, there's an opportunity for him to be with his peers, um, us forcing him to be there is defeating the purpose of inclusion. And so, if you think about kind of what that means for us as designers of inclusive programs, like are our kids being planned for? Is there a space for them that is of equal opportunity to their peers and and supporting kids to move within in and out of those structures, I think is is really important, both within the day but also in the phys- physicality of the building. Um, she also mentioned, you know, some of the supports that the school has done. And they've been phenomenal. Like she talked about the buttons on the doors. Um, but I mean, there's multiple breakout spaces for learning. Um, Sebastian is doing his walking exercises in the hallway. Like there's just, he has access to the whole school. It's not just about, um, you know, only belonging in this one space. Um, The other thing that was really neat is if you think about buttons on doors, like it's such a perfect example of a universal support. You know, it's not just Sebastian who's going to benefit from that, from that, from the button. And often this is what happens when you're starting to to design for learners who need support is, you know, everyone, other people are going to benefit from these supports as well. And so... I don't know. I just thought it was a really nice example of that. Um, We did bring up people and, you know, everyone knows how I feel about people. People are absolutely supportive, but it's really, you know, really breaking down what they do. And so Suzanne kind of brought up three big pieces about how people can be supportive, which I think are, are critical. Um, she talked about being open-minded, being motivated and and believing in the possibility and, you know, all three of those connect to my, you know, like guiding philosophy around presuming competence and, you know, it's very, you can always find a reason why something can't happen or, or why we can say no, but it's, it's, it's really understanding that everything is possible. There's always something kids can do and it's not about saying no, it's about figuring out how um supporting parents I heard both Judith and Suzanne talk about this importance of we have to bring parents voice into this process um, they they are bringing a lens to this that none of us can recreate and so you know I just like all of us were just so appreciative of, of Suzanne being a part of that meeting for the whole day she stayed the whole time you know and it just was so wonderful and it's it's caused me to really think about you know, future opportunities to work with teams and, and to really extend that invitation out to say, you know what, like, let's, let's bring these parents in, not just for five minutes, but, like, for the whole conversation because I, I just was blown away by Suzanne's perspective. Um, another infrastructural support is the team. You know, including parents, but also REAs are such incredible voices and they're doing the work every day with these kids and know kind of the, the nuances and the the communication and, and knowing the gestures that mean so much. And so I think we have to find places for them to be a part of this conversation. Uh, the last couple things she talked about uh, really reminds me of the, the structural supports around access and choice and, you know, finding those classroom connections for kids to not just connect to activities, but to connect to peers and interact and interacting with them. When I observed Sebastian in this classroom, his EA was absolutely brilliant about not just like connecting Sebastian to the work that was happening, but actually like facilitated conversations with the peers so that the peers knew how to interact with Sebastian. And and this kind of connects to kind of our big idea here is It's not just about supporting Sebastian to be inclusive. It's about supporting the whole community to be inclusive to Sebastian and um, the school and and this EA for sure. And this teacher does just an incredible job of that. So that's Suzanne lover I can't wait to talk to her again um, I think I'm gonna definitely put her in my pocket of resources um, Judith and Janice work very very closely together um, you know I, I, there was there definitely wasn't enough time to dig into the expertise that Judith and Janice bring but I think they both brought some really 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 critical points to the structure of of. Of inclusion really talking about um, the importance of not just teachers in terms of their professional development but also in terms of their values and beliefs. Um, The teacher inquiry model if you're not familiar with it is very very much responding to tensions and questions that are brought up by teachers rather than telling them what to do. We're supporting teachers um, to to be kind of leaders and designers of their own development and you know that that really brings in that piece of you're going to have the buy-in. Similarly like kids, right? Like if they, if they're, if they're brought into this and construct part of this, they're going to have the buy-in or, um, or, um, I have a parent colleague that, a friend that I work with, and she says, it's not even just the buy-in that's important. It's the believe in, like you want people to believe in this. Um, but these burning questions, but also the part of the inquiry is that this is ongoing. This isn't just like a one-timer, like come for a day and listen to someone speak. Um, but this is like, OK, let's work on this a little bit over time. And this takes years. And, and you know it, it can't just be um, something that we work on once and then move on. Like This is something that really needs to be ongoing and situated within the context of, of, of our teachers and where they're actually living and working. Um, I had to appreciate, though, Judith's, <laughs> Judith's little comment around, okay, yeah, but this is, you know, taking a long time. You know, this has been 30 years in British Columbia. You know, we're, we need to be further along. And I it, it's so cute because in so many ways, we're doing such incredible things in BC. And on the other hand, we're just like, there's so, there's so much, there's so far to go still. So, you know, in the words of Judith, let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with it. We've been doing this for a long time. This is not... Um, this is not going away this is about bettering um, how we do things for all kids Um, you know and and we talked about closing special classes well we can close all the special classes but it doesn't mean that the philosophy is going to change and so this is also about you know you know whether we have special classes or special schools you know and I've talked about this before it's not just about closing them it's learning from them so that every every place can be can have those special components and those supportive components to increase um, inclusion for for just for everybody. Um, Janice, the, the last part that I kind of want to bring in, and it's a critical piece to this infrastructure, and that's the shifting that point of view from supporting individuals in a class to supporting the whole class. And and that, that idea I think about it as like kind of a parent model where if your parents um, who are parenting children everything you do together like that collaboration is not just around actual parenting but it's about decision making it's about support it's about you know everything you do you do together um, rather than this kind of divide and conquering like you would never see families that are like living together and the mom's like I'll take care of this kid and the dad's like I'll take care of this kid or the mom's just like oh hey I'll take Mondays and Tuesdays and the other mom is just like, oh, I'll take Fridays. If there's like that, just doesn't make any sense, right? Like this is about we are together, we are a family. Let's make these decisions together. Um, and so, you know, if we think about a classroom like that, can you imagine if like the teachers who are working together to support this classroom, they do it like parents? Like these are our little babies, and we need to work together to make sure that they their needs are met and that they are growing and becoming just incredible humans. So, I really love that idea of you know, let's let's think about this as parents. Uh, so um, friends, there's just, there's so much more we could talk about. I think, you know, the big ideas here, support the whole class, uh, respond to the needs of teachers, allow them to be involved in this process, um, flexibility, um, access, planning. Like, there's just so much that we could dig into here. Um, I think that we're going to have to keep talking about this because this podcast can't be nine hours long. So friends, thank you for joining me. We are back. Podcast. Is back, so I'm gonna to aim to do um, at least once one podcast a month from now until June, and then depending on where we are, um, there's one more five more minute video that's coming out um, June 1st, and that'll be the end of this season. And it's a good one; you guys are going to love it. Okay, this is Shelly Moore signing out from the Five More Minutes podcast. A big thank you to Suzanne, Judith, Janice, and Sebastian for um, talking with us today on the podcast. Um, you can find us all over the internet. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. and we have a website, 5moreminutes.com, um, which talks about all of the strategies that we mentioned in this in this episode. Uh, we will see We will see you soon, friends.